the other day, this totally happened. The other day, I, uh, I got on the scale, and I had lost a pound. Amen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kenan found it. So um, that was the other day. Uh, uh, by the time this sermon was written, I got on the scale this morning, and I had gained it in three or four back. But um, Chinese takeout, apparently. I, but, but here's the deal. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So I got on the scale and I had lost a pound. But, but there, there is a weight. There is, there is a weight that we carry around that is not measured, that is not measured by, by the number right there. There's a weight that we carry around. And There is a weight that if we don't watch out, we find ourselves carrying around. It's not, oh, okay. It's not measured just by what's on the scale. 10 pounds is actually heavy (coughs) when you try to carry it around with you at work. You turn on the news at night, 6 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Maybe some of you knew, maybe some of you get your news uh, in methods other than television. Maybe, maybe some of you read your news one page at a time. Maybe, maybe, some of you, maybe some of you scroll through the news one swipe at a time. You, 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 you look at the news, and here's the thing. It's bad. The news, the news is bad. And I, and I get it. I'm not fussing at the news today. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not. I get why it's bad. It's bad because, A, it's true. And, and second of all, because bad sells. N- negative sells. Negative sells. Conflict works when it comes to clicks. Okay? Ne- negative works when it comes to, 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 to driving audiences. That's, that, that, that's why murder rates and homicide rates and corruption and injustice, that's, I mean, I, I, I get it. I totally get it. I totally get it. But, but, but what do we do when, when we watch and receive the news and over and over and over again? It just, it just feels like it weighs us down. When, when, we, when we know that the story is supposed to get better, but it doesn't feel like it's getting better, and what we see with our eyes doesn't seem to be showing that it's getting better. What do we do? This, this is the very problem that the people of God find themselves in as we move through this, this story of a people who are searching for something more in the story of the Exodus. We find ourselves now in the third week of the story of God's people and God's chosen man for the plan. It was just a week ago that, that he said every which away, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. Take, just find someone else, Moses said. And finally God said, there is not someone else. It's you 
It's Aaron. Eventually, it'll be Miriam, their sister. It's, it's the three of you with my power. And so what happens in Exodus chapter 4, that we won't read today, what happens in Exodus chapter 4 is that Moses and Aaron, they stand in front of the people, and they say, God has this plan, and it's to free you from the burden and weight of oppression so that you can, that you can go off and live abundant lives. And the people say, we're in. It doesn't, it doesn't happen as quickly as they would like. I, I invite you to turn as we read. We'll, we'll read actually the whole chapter. It's the, it's the uh, story of the Exodus, the fifth chapter, Exodus chapter 5. And we pick it up in the very first verse. And I invite you to follow along as we listen into the Word of God together. It says this. Afterward, this is after the people are with him, after, after Moses and Aaron have the plan, after they show back up to Egypt, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, Israel's God, says, let my people go so that they can hold a festival for me in the desert. But Pharaoh said, who is this Lord whom I'm supposed to obey by letting Israel go? I don't know this Lord, and I certainly won't let Israel go. Then they said, the Hebrews God has appeared to us. Let us go on a three-day journey into the desert so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Otherwise, the Lord will give us a deadly disease or violence. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you making the people slack off from their work? Do the hard work yourselves, Pharaoh continued. The land's people are now numerous, yet you want them to stop their hard work? On the very same day, Pharaoh commanded the people's slave masters and supervisors, Don't supply the people with the straw they need to make bricks like you did before. Let them go out and gather the straw for themselves, but still make sure that they produce the same number of bricks as they made before. Don't reduce the number. They are weak and lazy, and that's why they cry, Let's go and offer sacrifices to our God. Make the men's work so hard that it's all they can do, and they can't focus on these empty lies. So the people's slave masters and supervisors came out and spoke to the people. This is what the Pharaoh says. I'm not giving you straw anymore. Go and get the straw on your own, wherever you can find it, but your work won't be reduced at all. So the people spread out all through the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The slave masters drove them hard and said, Make sure you make the same daily quota when, as when you had the straw. The Israelite supervisors, whom Pharaoh's slave masters had set over them, were also beaten and asked, Why didn't you produce the same number of bricks yesterday and today as you did before? Then the Israelite supervisors came and pleaded to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is supplied to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. Look at how your servants are being beaten. Your own people are to blame. Pharaoh replied, You are lazy bums. Nothing but lazy bums. That's why you say, Let's go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Go and get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you still need to make the same number of bricks. The Israelite supervisors saw him, how impossible their situation was when they were commanded, don't reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them. The supervisors said to them, let the Lord see and judge what you've done. You've made us stink in the opinion of Pharaoh and his servants. You've given them a reason to kill us. It has not gone, hold your place, hold your place, it has not gone as smoothly, would you agree, 
as Moses thought the plan would. It's not gone as smoothly as Moses and Aaron thought it might. All right, we've got power. We've, we've, we've got a plan. God's with us. We're going to go into Pharaoh. We're going to tell him this is the way it's going to be, and he's going to do it. And, it. and it didn't happen that way. Moses finds himself asking, asking what went wrong. Who's to blame here? And this is what he, this is what he comes up with. The last two verses of chapter 5. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, My Lord, why have you abused this people? Why did you send me for this? Ever since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has abused this people, and you've done absolutely nothing to rescue your people. As pitiful as it sounds, this is the word of God for we the people of God, and we say together, Thanks be to God. But the pitiful is not in the holy word of God. The pitiful is in how Moses is interpreting things are going. Moses says, I, I'm the guy, because you said I'm the guy, and you, you said there was a plan, and you said your power would be provided in the, in, in the right moment, and I've, I've put it all on display, and it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. And so we find Moses asking God, no, 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 accusing God of of not caring anymore. We find find Moses turning to God in prayer, because that's what it says. It says says that he returned to God. He returned to God, and he spoke to God. This is is the stuff of prayer, and what his prayer is, is, I I blame you. I, I blame you. Parentheses, never mind that it's Pharaoh that's mentioned repeatedly as the cause of the problem, I blame, I blame you. It, it, it's been written, it's been written that cynicism is the prevailing posture of the post-Christian world. But the truth is, post-Christian or not, there's a lot of Christians who have chosen chosen to to allow this cynicism to cling to them as well. I I heard an author this week define cynicism as as an outlook that is hopeless, as a perspective on the world that does not trust people, that does not trust things that we cannot see. Cynicism is this outlook that is hopeless. Hopeless. And I, and I get it. I get it. But it does not make it right. One, one, person, one person described the, 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 the way we should receive the news as Teflon instead of Velcro. And so I stand in front of you bearing testimony to how strong Velcro is and the effects that Velcro can have if we would allow ourselves to hold on to all the bad that we see. If we allow ourselves to to be weighed down and burdened by all that we see 
Because, because the truth is, negative sells. So no wonder, no wonder those who are, who are in business to make a profit with the news would give us what we want, what we click, what we desire. And yet, cynicism is a sin. Anything, Paul says, anything that is a stumbling block to us having faith in Romans 14, 14 13, anything that, 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 that would, would keep us from believing, and that's what cynicism is. Cynicism says, says if I can't see it, I'm not going to believe it. And I can't see that things are getting better. And the truth is, while it sounds like I'm fussing at y'all this morning, cynicism has been a problem that has plagued the people of God for as long as there have been a people of God. Some of the oldest verses in all the scriptures first written down come from the story of Job. And there you find cynicism so prevalent that God actually has to open up the heavens and speak down to this man to tell him and correct him that there is more going on than what he can see. What what about the story of Jonah? When he's angry at God that God wants to go and save a people. Because he's like, Those people? Really? Those people? This doesn't make sense. And and, and while it's hard to believe, the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees, the ones that go, I mean, the Pharisees started out as the good guys. They were the people of God. Until, Until the negativity weighed them down so much that they felt that they had to add all the rules and the laws and the policies to somehow, to somehow root out the negative, and it didn't work for them. And they found themselves walking around burdened and weighted. Even the disciples, even the disciples end up as cynics at one point or another, saying, saying, all that we can see is bad. Therefore, everything must be bad. There's this story early in Mark's gospel. You guys know this story. There's a story where, uh, where Jesus has already healed people. He's already had signs and wonders. He's already, been, he's already been powerful in front of the people. He's been powerful in front of the disciples. And it says that Jesus and the disciples, they get into a boat as the evening is coming and they set sail across the Sea of Galilee. And during the night, a storm, a storm pops up on the Sea of Galilee. And the storm gets so bad. What does it say? It's it's Mark chapter 4. It says, Gale force winds arose and waves crashed against the boat so that the boat was swamped. But Jesus was in the rear of the boat sleeping on a pillow. Because I love that guy. (laughs) They woke up. And what did they say? I mean, they're taking out a page page out of Moses' playbook. Teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? They've gone, they've gone from describing the waves as crashing. I mean, they've, gone from, they've gone from talking about how bad it is to now suggesting that it's never going to get better, that God's quit on them. This came to me this morning, but cynicism is atheism. Because, because cynicism says it's so bad 
that there cannot be a good. Cynicism leaves no room for God. Cynicism is is atheism. And, And I get it. It seems so bad But maybe there's more going on. He was sitting right over here, Karen, just a couple seats from where you were at the 9 o'clock service. His name's Jonathan Goff. He, he's been coming with his, his wife and son for, uh, for a couple of years now. Jonathan um, is an IT professional, works for a company out of Atlanta. Uh, but this past week spent, uh, uh, spent the last five or six days in Seattle, Washington at a conference that was put on by a little company up there called Microsoft. <clears throat> he, uh, he came back, and he, on Friday, he showed me this, this photo, um, and he said, Scott, do you know what this is? He's like, I got to see this. This was on display in Microsoft's lobby. Like, when you walk through Microsoft's lobby, this was on display. And he showed it to me, and I was like, I, I don't know, it's big, and it's tall, and it's got graffiti on it? And he said, yeah. He said, this is a section of the Berlin Wall. How many years, how many years did that stand as a barrier to freedom? How many decades was it a symbol of oppression? But it's now been knocked down and sold off, right? Because of hope. It was on a Super Bowl Saturday weekend that I had the chance to spend the evening with a guy that had grown up in Michigan and, uh, and worked mostly in uh, California that the world doesn't know by the name that he was given at his birth, which is Irvin Johnson, but the world knows him as Magic Johnson. I had the chance to, to spend an evening with him back in the 90s. It's been, it's been 20-something years he was a, a, a great basketball player. If you're not familiar with his story, he, uh, he won the national championship as a college player against, uh, against Larry Bird in, in what is considered the greatest college basketball game probably of all time. And then he went on to win five NBA championships. But that night, he wasn't playing in the NBA. That night, he, uh, he was sort of barnstorming as a celebrity in the mid-'90s. He was, still in the, he was still in the top of his game, but he couldn't play in the NBA anymore. I was, the game was held at Georgia Tech, and, and I, uh, I had keys to the building, so I let myself in the back door, and I found my way to the locker room, and, and, uh, and he sees me over there, and he says, hey, kid, um, have you got any tall socks? Because Magic Johnson was old school, right? None of these little, like, uh, no, no, no C socks. He, uh, he wore them up to, like, here, basically his waist, and I was like, I know where some are, and so I went and found them, and I gave them to him, and, uh, and, I, and I spent before the game and halftime with him. And the, and the whole time, whole time out of the corner of my eye, I'm watching him. I'm watching him because he's playing great and he looks healthy. But I was thinking, you're not supposed to be healthy. Because about three years before that, he'd had to retire from really being one of the greatest players the world had ever seen in the sport of basketball because he'd been diagnosed as having HIV. And I'm looking at him going, how long can you keep it up? I mean, it did help that he was six foot nine and 
played point guard, but how long can you keep it up? You know that on Tuesday of this week, Magic Johnson turned 59 years old? And the doctors will tell you that he's as healthy as he's ever been? Living with HIV? It was a couple years after that. It's been 20 years ago this year, 20 years ago, that a United Methodist preacher in North Carolina organized a group of people, and he brought them all together, and they had the right stuff in the right place, and they had a plan, and they followed the plan, and it was the very first day that people in a church packaged meals to be sent to somewhere else. 20 years ago, Rise Against Hunger got started by a Methodist preacher. And this afternoon at 3 o'clock, for the sixth time, our church will package meals and send them to somewhere else to be a part of this worldwide effort that has not fed just thousands of people. We'll pack 30,000 meals. We could use your help today, 3 o'clock. Be ready to put a hairnet on. Not just thousands of people, but millions of people. And here's the God's honest truth. And, and, and I know it because I've now said it twice and, and, and both times people have, have, have not been quick to agree. But here's the God's honest truth. Despite what the news would tell you, despite what some of you have bought into, year after year, the world is actually getting better. The world's getting better. Here are the facts. Poverty is at the lowest level it has ever been in history. Fact. Fact. Medicine is able to do now what we would have never imagined, dreamed of 10 years ago. Forget 20. Forget 100 years ago. 10 years ago. Medicine. Women and girls are more secure and safe in more places around the world than they ever have been. Medicine, poverty, security, safety, the world is getting better, but it's the bad that clings to us. It's the the bad that clings to us. We must see what is truly happening and not get focused in only on the bad. The bad is real. This is not some pie-in-the-sky Pollyanna talk. The bad is real. Our choices have consequences. That's absolutely a fact. But it is not a fact, it is not true to say that that just because it hasn't been fixed yet, it'll never get fixed. It, it It is not true, it is not true to say that just because the plan hasn't worked, it's somehow your fault. It's just not true. My my grandfather's uh my grandfather's favorite verse towards the end of his life. 
the end of this amazing passage. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, you, you got that? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Here's the thing. We, we have the choice. We have the choice to live like Teflon and not Velcro. God doesn't promise that it'll be made better immediately, right now, or even tomorrow. But he's got the whole world in his hands. And to believe the bad news in the present is the end of the story. Is to walk around with a weight that we don't need to carry. Let's pray. It's only by your grace. It's only by your grace that we find peace. It's it's only by your grace that we are able to let go of all that would burden us, all that would cling to us, all that would attach to us and not easily be removed. It's only by your grace that we would change our exterior in ways that would not let the negative and the bad cling to us in ways that would sin. Lord, may nothing, may nothing get in the way of us believing in that which we cannot see. You are at work. Though our eyes may not confirm it, our souls desperately know it to be true. By your grace, let us be unfettered to live lives of abundance. This is our prayer. And we ask it in the name of the one who has the power for it to be true. Amen.